0: Part 2 of The History of the Thirty Years' War, Volume 2, by Friedrich Schiller. Translated by Reverend A. J. W. Morrison, this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After this necessary digression on the existing circumstances of Europe, I now resume the thread of my history. Ferdinand had recovered his dominions, but had not indemnified himself for the expenses of recovering them. A sum of forty millions of florins which the confiscations in bohemia and moravia had produced would have sufficed to reimburse both himself and his allies but the jesuits and his favourites soon squandered this sum large as it was maximilian duke of bavaria to whose victorious arm principally the emperor owed the recovery of his dominions who in the service of religion and the emperor had sacrificed his near relation, had the strongest claims on his gratitude and moreover in a treaty which before the war the duke had concluded with the emperor he had expressly stipulated for the reimbursement of all expenses ferdinand felt the full weight of the obligation imposed upon him by this treaty and by these services but he was not disposed to discharge it at his own cost his purpose was to bestow a brilliant reward upon the duke but without detriment to himself how could this be done better than at the expense of the unfortunate prince who by his revolt had given the Emperor a right to punish him, and whose offences might be painted in colours strong enough to justify the most violent measures under the appearance of law that then Maximilian might be rewarded, Frederick must be further persecuted and totally ruined, and to defray the expenses of the old war, a new one must be commenced, but a still stronger motive combined to enforce the first hitherto Ferdinand had been contending for existence alone. He had been fulfilling no other duty than that of self-defense. But now, when victory gave him freedom to act, a higher duty occurred to him, and he remembered the vow which he had made at Loreto and at Rome, to his Generalissima, the Holy Virgin, to extend her worship even at the risk of his crown and life. With this object, the oppression of the Protestants was inseparably connected. More favorable circumstances for its accomplishment, could not offer than those which presented themselves at the close of the Bohemian War. Neither the power, nor a pretext of right, were now wanting to enable him to place the Palatinate in the hands of the Catholics, and the importance of this change to the Catholic interests in Germany would be incalculable. Thus, in rewarding the Duke of Bavaria with the spoils of his relation, he at once gratified his meanest passions, and fulfilled his most exalted duties. He crushed an enemy whom he hated and spared his avarice a painful sacrifice while he believed he was winning a heavenly crown in the emperor's cabinet. The ruin of Frederick had been resolved upon long before fortune had decided against him, but it was only after this decree that they ventured to direct against him the thunders of arbitrary power. A decree of the Emperor, destitute of all the formalities required on such occasions by the laws of the empire pronounced the elector and three other princes who had borne arms for him at Silesia and Bohemia as offenders against the imperial majesty and disturbers of the public peace under the ban of the empire and deprived them of their titles and territories. The execution of this sentence against Frederick, namely the seizure of his lands, was in further contempt of law committed to Spain as sovereign of the Circle of Burgundy, to the Duke of Bavaria, and the League had the Evangelic Union been worthy of the name it bore, and of the cause which it pretended to defend, insuperable obstacles might have prevented the execution of the sentence. But it was hopeless for a power, which was far from a match even for the Spanish troops in the lower Palatinate, to contend against the united strength of the Emperor, Bavaria, and the League. The sentence of proscription pronounced upon the elector soon detached the free cities from the Union, and the princes quickly followed their example. Fortunate in preserving their own dominions, they abandoned the elector, their former chief, to the emperor's mercy, renounced the union, and vowed never to revive it again. But while thus ingloriously the German princes deserted the unfortunate Frederick, and while Bohemia, Silesia, and Moravia submitted to the emperor, a single man, a soldier of fortune, whose only treasure was his sword, Ernest Count Mansfield dared in the bohemian town of Pilsen to defy the whole power of Austria. Left without assistance after the Battle of Prague by the elector, to whose service he had devoted himself, and even uncertain whether Frederick would thank him for his perseverance, he alone for some time held out against the imperialists, till the garrison, mutinying for want of pay, sold the town to the emperor. Undismayed by this reverse, he immediately commenced new levies in the upper palatinate, and enlisted the disbanded troops of the Union. A new army of twenty thousand men was soon assembled under his banners, the more formidable to the provinces which might be the object of its attack, because it must subsist by plunder. Uncertain where this swarm might light, the neighboring bishops trembled for their rich possessions, which offered a tempting prey to its ravages. But pressed by the Duke of Bavaria, who now entered the upper palatinate, Mansfield was compelled to retire. Eluding by a successful stratagem, the Bavarian general Tilly, who was in pursuit of him, he suddenly appeared in the lower palatinate, and there wreaked upon the bishoprics of the Rhine the severities he had designed for those of Franconia. While the imperial and Bavarian allies thus overran Bohemia, the Spanish general Spinola had penetrated with a numerous army from the Netherlands, into the lower palatinate, which, however, the pacification of Ulm permitted the Union to defend. But their measures were so badly concerted that one place after another fell into the hands of the Spaniards, and at last, when the Union broke up, the greater part of the country was in possession of Spain. The Spanish general Corduba, who commanded these troops after the recall of Spinola, hastily raised the siege of Frankenthal when Mansfield entered the lower palatinate, but instead of driving the Spaniards out of this province, he hastened across the Rhine to secure for his needy troops shelter and subsistence in Alsace. The open countries on which this swarm of marauders threw themselves were converted into frightful deserts, and only by enormous contributions could the cities purchase an exemption from plunder. Reinforced by this expedition, Mansfield again appeared on the Rhine to cover the lower Palatinate. So long as such an arm fought for him, the cause of the Elector Frederick was not irretrievably lost. New prospects began to open, and misfortune raised up friends who had been silent during his prosperity. King James of England, who had looked on with indifference while his son-in-law lost the Bohemian crown, was aroused from his insensibility when the very existence of his daughter and grandson was at stake, and the victorious enemy ventured an attack upon the electorate late enough he at last opened his treasures and hastened to afford supplies of money and troops first to the union which at that time was defending the lower palatinate and afterward when they retired to count mansfield by his means his near relation christian king of denmark was induced to afford his active support at the same time the approaching expiration of the truce between spain and holland deprived the emperor of all the supplies which otherwise he might expect from the side of the Netherlands. More important still was the assistance which the Palatinate received from Transylvania and Hungary. The cessation of hostilities between Gabor and the Emperor was scarcely at an end when this old and formidable enemy of Austria overran Hungary anew, and caused himself to be crowned king in Pressburg. So rapid was his progress that, to protect Austria and Hungary, Bokhoi was obliged to evacuate Bohemia. This brave general met his death at the siege of Neuheisel, as, shortly before, the no less valiant Dampierre had fallen before Pressburg. Gabor's march into the Austrian territory was irresistible. The old Count Thurn, and several other distinguished Bohemians, had united their hatred and their strength with this irreconcilable enemy of Austria. A vigorous attack on the side of Germany, While gabor pressed the emperor on that of hungary might have retrieved the fortunes of frederick but unfortunately the bohemians and germans had always laid down their arms when gabor took the field and the latter was always exhausted at the very moment that the former began to recover their vigor meanwhile frederick had not delayed to join his protector mansfield in disguise he entered the lower palatinate of which the possession was at that time disputed between mansfield and the Bavarian general Tilly, the upper palatinate having been long conquered. A ray of hope shone upon him as, from the wreck of the Union, new friends came forward. A former member of the Union, George Frederick, Margrave of Baden, had for some time been engaged in assembling a military force, which soon amounted to a considerable army. Its destination was kept a secret, till he suddenly took the field and joined Mansfield. Before commencing the war, He resigned his margraviate to his son, in the hope of eluding by this precaution the emperor's revenge, if his enterprise should be unsuccessful. His neighbor, the Duke of Württemberg, likewise began to augment his military force. The courage of the Palatine revived, and he labored assiduously to renew the Protestant Union. It was now time for Tilly to consult for his own safety, and he hastily summoned the Spanish troops under Corduba to his assistance. BUT WHILE THE ENEMY WAS UNITING HIS STRENGTH, MANSFIELD AND THE Margrave SEPARATED, AND THE LATTER WAS DEFEATED BY THE BAVARIAN GENERAL NEAR WIMPFEN, 1622. TO DEFEND A KING, WHOM HIS NEAREST RELATION PERSECUTED, AND WHO WAS DESERTED EVEN BY HIS OWN FATHER-IN-LAW, THERE HAD COME FORWARD AN ADVENTURER WITHOUT MONEY, AND WHOSE VERY LEGITIMACY WAS QUESTIONED. A SOVEREIGN HAD RESIGNED POSSESSIONS OVER WHICH HE REIGNED IN PEACE to hazard the uncertain fortune of war in behalf of a stranger. And now another soldier of fortune, poor in territorial possessions, but rich in illustrious ancestry, undertook the defense of a cause which the former despaired of. Christian, Duke of Brunswick, administrator of Halberstadt, seemed to have learned from Count Mansfield the secret of keeping in the field an army of twenty thousand men without money. Impelled by youthful presumption, and influenced partly by the wish of establishing his reputation at the expense of the Roman Catholic priesthood, whom he cordially detested, and partly by a thirst for plunder, he assembled a considerable army in Lower Saxony, under the pretext of espousing the defense of Frederick and of the liberties of Germany. God's friend, priest's foe, was the motto he chose for his coinage, which was struck out of church plate and his conduct belied one-half at least of the device. The progress of these banditti was, as usual, marked by the most frightful devastation. Enriched by the spoils of the chapters of Lower Saxony and Westphalia, they gathered strength to plunder the bishoprics upon the Upper Rhine. Driven from thence, both by friends and foes, the administrator approached the town of hascht on the main, which he crossed with a murderous action with Tilly, who disputed with him the passage of the river with the loss of half his army he reached the opposite bank where he quickly collected his shattered troops and formed a junction with mansfield pursued by tilly this united host threw itself again into alsace to repeat their former ravages while the elector frederick followed almost like a fugitive mendicant this swarm of plunderers which acknowledged him as its lord and dignified itself with his name his friends were busily endeavoring to effect a reconciliation between him and the emperor. Ferdinand took care not to deprive them of all hope of seeing the Palatine restored to his dominion. Full of artifice and dissimulation, he pretended to be willing to enter into a negotiation, hoping thereby to cool their ardor in the field, and to prevent them from driving matters to extremity. James I, ever the dupe of Spanish cunning, contributed not a little by his foolish intermeddling, to promote the emperor's schemes. Ferdinand insisted that Frederick, if he would appeal to his clemency, should first of all lay down his arms, and James considered this demand extremely reasonable. At his instigation, the elector dismissed his only real defenders, Count Mansfield and the administrator, and in Holland awaited his own fate from the mercy of the emperor. Mansfield and Duke Christian were now at a loss for some new name. The cause of the elector had not set them in motion, so his dismissal could not disarm them. War was their object. It was all to say to them in whose cause or name it was waged. After some vain attempts on the part of Mansfield, to be received in the Emperor's service, both marched into Lorraine, where the excesses of their troops spread terror even to the heart of France. Here they long waited in vain for a master willing to purchase their services, till the Dutch pressed by the spanish general spinola offered to take them into pay after a bloody fight at fleuris with the spaniards who attempted to intercept them they reached holland where their appearance compelled the spanish general forthwith to raise the siege of bergen but even holland was soon weary of these dangerous guests and availed herself of the first moment to get rid of their unwelcome assistance mansfield allowed his troops to recruit themselves for new enterprises In the fertile province of East Friesland. Duke Christian, passionately enamored of the Electress Palantine, with whom he had become acquainted in Holland, and more disposed for war than ever, led back his army into Lower Saxony, bearing that princess's glove in his hand, and on his standards the motto All for God and Her. Neither of these adventurers had as yet run their career in the war. All the imperial territories were now free from the enemy. The Union was dissolved the Margrave of Baden, Duke Christian, and Mansfield, driven from the field, and the Palatine, overrun by the executive troops of the empire. Mannheim and Heidelberg were in possession of Bavaria, and Frankenthal was shortly afterwards ceded to the Spaniards. The Palatine, in a distant corner of Holland, awaited the disgraceful permission to appease by abject submission the vengeance of the emperor, and an electoral diet was at last summoned to decide his fate. That fate, however, had been long before decided at the court of the emperor, though now for the first time were circumstances favorable for giving publicity to the decision. After his past measures towards the elector, Ferdinand believed that a sincere reconciliation was not to be hoped for. The violent course he had once begun must be completed successfully or recoil upon himself. What was already lost was irrecoverable. Frederick could never hope to regain his dominions, and a prince without territory, and without subjects, had little chance of retaining the electoral crown. Deeply as the Palatine had offended against the House of Austria, the services of the Duke of Bavaria were no less meritorious. If the House of Austria and the Roman Catholic Church had much to dread from the resentment and religious rancor of the Palatine family, they had as much to hope from the gratitude and religious zeal of the Bavarian. Lastly, by the cession of the Palatine electorate to Bavaria, the Roman Catholic religion would obtain a decisive preponderance in the Electoral College, and secure a permanent triumph in Germany. The last circumstance was sufficient to win the support of the three ecclesiastical electors to this innovation, and among the Protestants the vote of Saxony was alone of any importance. But could john george be expected to dispute with the emperor a right without which he would expose to question his own title to the electoral dignity to a prince whom dissent dignity and political power placed at the head of the protestant church in germany nothing it is true ought to be more sacred than the defenses of the rights of that church against all the encroachments of the roman catholics but the question here was not whether the interests of the protestants were to be supported against the Roman Catholics, but which of two religions equally detested, the Calvinistic and the Popish, was to triumph over the other? To which of the two enemies, equally dangerous, the Palatinate was to be assigned, and in this clashing of opposite duties, it was natural that private hate and private gain should determine the event? The born protector of the liberties of Germany and of the Protestant religion encouraged the emperor to dispose of the palatinate by his imperial prerogative and to apprehend no resistance on the part of Saxony to his measures on the mere ground of form if the elector was afterwards disposed to retract this consent ferdinand himself by driving the evangelical preachers from bohemia was the cause of this change of opinion and in the eyes of the elector the transference of the palatine electorate to bavaria ceased to be illegal as soon as Ferdinand was prevailed upon to cede Lusatia to Saxony, in consideration of six millions of dollars as the expenses of war. Thus, in defiance of all Protestant Germany, and in mockery of the fundamental laws of the empire, which, as his election, he had sworn to maintain, Ferdinand, at Ratisbon solemnly invested the Duke of Bavaria with the Palatinate, without prejudice, as the form ran, to the rights which the relations or descendants of Frederick might afterwards establish that unfortunate prince thus saw himself irrevocably driven from his possessions without having even been heard before the tribunal which condemned him a privilege which the law allows to the meanest subject and even to the most atrocious criminal this violent step at last opened the eyes of the king of england and as the negotiations for the marriage of his son with the infanta of spain were now broken off James began seriously to espouse the cause of his son-in-law. A change in the French ministry had placed Cardinal Richelieu at the head of affairs, and this fallen kingdom soon began to feel that a great mind was at the helm of state. The attempts of the Spanish viceroy in Milan to gain possession of the Valtelline, and thus to form a junction with the Austrian hereditary dominions, revived the old dread of this power, and with it, the policy of Henry the Great. The marriage of the Prince of Wales with Henrietta of France established a close union between the two crowns, and this alliance Holland, Denmark, and some of the Italian states presently acceded. Its object was to expel by force of arms Spain from the Valtelline, and to compel Austria to reinstate Frederick, but only the first of these designs was persecuted with vigor. James I died, and Charles I involved in disputes with his parliament, could not bestow attention on the affairs of Germany. Savoy and Venice withheld their assistance, and the French minister thought it necessary to subdue the Huguenots at home before he supported the German Protestants against the emperor. Great as were the hopes which had been formed from this alliance, they were yet equalled by the disappointment of the event. Mansfield, deprived of all support, remained inactive on the lower Rhine and duke christian of brunswick after an unsuccessful campaign was a second time driven out of germany a fresh eruption of bethlen gabor into moravia frustrated by the want of support from the germans terminated like all the rest in a formal peace with the emperor the union was no more no protestant prince was in arms and on the frontiers of lower germany the bavarian general tilly at the head of a victorious army encamped in the protestant territory The movements of the Duke of Brunswick had drawn him into this quarter, and even into the circle of Lower Saxony, when he made himself master of the Administrator's magazines at Lippstadt. The necessity of observing this enemy, and preventing him from new inroads, was the pretext assigned for continuing Tilly's stay in the country. But in truth, both Mansfield and Duke Christian had, from want of money, disbanded their armies, and Count Tilly had no enemy to dread. Why then still burden the country with his presence? It is difficult amidst the uproar of contending parties to distinguish the voice of truth, but certainly it was matter for alarm that the League did not lay down its arms. The premature rejoicing of the Roman Catholics, too, were calculated to increase apprehension. The Emperor and the League stood armed and victorious in Germany without a power to oppose them, should they venture to attack the Protestant states and to annul the religious treaty. Had Ferdinand been in reality far from disposed to abuse his conquests, still the defenseless position of the Protestants was most likely to suggest the temptation. Obsolete conventions could not bind a prince who thought that he owed all to religion, and believed that a religious creed would sanctify any deed, however violent. Upper Germany was already overpowered. Lower Germany alone could check his despotic authority. Here the Protestants still predominated, the church had been forcibly deprived of most of its endowments, and the present appeared a favorable moment for recovering these lost possessions. A great part of the strength of the lower German princes consisted in these chapters, and the plea of restoring its own to the church afforded an excellent pretext for weakening these princes. Unpardonable would have been their negligence had they remained inactive in this danger, the remembrance of the ravages which Tilly's army had committed in Lower Saxony was too recent not to arouse the estates to measures of defense. With all haste, the circle of Lower Saxony began to arm itself. Extraordinary contributions were levied, troops collected, and magazines filled. Negotiations for subsidies were set on foot with Venice, Holland, and England. They deliberated, too, what power should be placed at the head of the Confederacy the kings of the Sound and the Baltic, the natural allies of this circle, would not see with indifference the emperor treating it as a conqueror, and establishing himself as their neighbor on the shores of the North Sea. The twofold interests of religion and policy urged them to put a stop to his progress in lower Germany. Christian IV of Denmark, as Duke of Holstein, was himself a prince of this circle, and by considerations equally powerful, Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden was induced to join the Confederacy. These two kings vied with each other for the honor of defending Lower Saxony, and of opposing the formidable power of Austria. Each offered to raise a well-disciplined army, and to lead it in person. His victorious campaigns against Moscow and Poland gave weight to the promises of the King of Sweden. The shores of the Baltic were full of the name of Gustavus, But the fame of his rival excited the envy of the Danish monarch, and the more success he promised himself in this campaign, the less disposed was he to show any favor to his envied neighbor. Both laid their conditions and plans before the English ministry, and Christian IV finally succeeded in outbidding his rival. Gustavus Adolphus, for his own security, had demanded the cession of certain places of strength in Germany, where he himself had no territories to afford, in case of need, a place of refuge for his troops. Christian the Fourth possessed Holstein and Jutland, through which, in the event of a defeat, he could always secure a retreat. Eager to get the start of his competitor, the King of Denmark hastened to take the field. Appointed Generalissimo of the Circle of Lower Saxony, he soon had an army of 60,000 men in motion. The Administrator of Magdeburg and the Dukes of Brunswick and Mecklenburg entered into an alliance with him encouraged by the hope of assistance from england and the possession of so large a force he flattered himself he should be able to terminate the war in a single campaign at vienna it was officially notified that the only object of these preparations was the protection of the circle and the maintenance of peace but the negotiations with holland england and even france the extraordinary exertions of the circle and the raising of so formidable an army seemed to have something more in view than defensive operations, and to contemplate nothing less than the complete restoration of the Elector Palatine, and the humiliation of the dreaded power of Austria. After negotiations, exhortations, commands, and threats had in vain been employed by the Emperor in order to induce the King of Denmark and the circle of Lower Saxony to lay down their arms, hostilities commenced, and Lower Germany became the theatre of war. Count Tilly, marching along the west bank of the Weser, made himself master of all the passes as far as Minden. After an unsuccessful attack on Neuburg, he crossed the river and overran the principality of Kalemberg, in which he quartered his troops. The king conducted his operations on the right bank of the river, and spread his forces over the territories of Brunswick, but having weakened his main body by two powerful detachments, he could not engage in any enterprise of importance. Aware of his opponent's superiority, he avoided a decisive action as anxiously as the general of the League sought it. End of Part 2